The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Well, if you'll turn to Galatians chapter 4, I know all of us from time to time get very discouraged with time. Things don't happen fast enough or they come too fast. Things that we want, things that we're expecting, but yet for some reason, we just can't seem to get on God's timeline. And this morning, we're going to look at that very fact, and we're going to see how God in his omnipotent way brings all things in his time. And so I trust we'll all take encouragement. And if you'll look at Galatians chapter 4, beginning verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, there is so much theology packed into those two verses. Simply beginning, but when the fullness of time had come, clearly everything will come in God's purpose. And everything will become clear to you and I as God reveals and shows his will. But then it goes on to say, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. Recall last week when we talked about the the fact that because man sinned, man had to pay the price for his sin. But the reality was man couldn't pay the price because all men are sinners and God is perfectly pure. So when he sent Christ, Christ came fully man and fully God. So he was born of a woman just like you and I, and he was born under the law just like you and I. But he did that to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So the beautiful reality is that in the fullness of time, he came and purchased us. And those who have given their lives to Christ have now been adopted out of a life of sin and lostness into Christ's family. And because of adoption, you and I share all the rights and privileges of Jesus Christ. And all of that because of Christmas. So let's look at the fact that it's in his time. Our text this morning is a very good one, especially as we think about the movement of God in history and what that means. It is a good text for correcting the way that you and I think. Isn't it true that we tend to think of God's great acts in history as being rather sudden? For example, you're out for a walk on a summer evening, and a storm is brewing, and then all of a sudden there is a quick flash of light and a clap of thunder. And you say, oh, look at the power of God. It's the suddenness that makes you think of God. And then you may know somebody who has been ill and declining, and all of a sudden they respond and get well. And you think, isn't it amazing how God intervened and healed them? And it's because of the suddenness that you think of God. Now, actually, the opposite is true more often than not. Now, I don't mean to say that God cannot intervene suddenly because he certainly does. 
But as we look at all that we know from God in Scripture and see Him in nature, we see the shadow working of the the uh, the working of God, slow working, His patience and ordered timeliness in the events that characterize His actions. We find the same thing in the Bible. When we turn to the Scriptures for God, God's revelation to men and women did not happen suddenly, but literally over hundreds and even thousands of years. And we find this very clearly. Uh, We find the very first mention of Jesus Christ way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To Abraham, God revealed a little more, showing that the nations of the world would be blessed through him. And then David, Isaiah, Daniel, Micah, Malachi, all in turn received their additional pieces of the revelation until in the end, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, actually stood upon the earth, lived and died to pay the price for our sins. All of this happened in the fullness of time. So the first thing we learn from that uh, verse that we're looking at, as it seems to me, is that we need to be patient and wait on God, knowing that He never acts too soon, He never comes too late, but always does things in the perfect timing of His own will. And more often than not, His timing is not our timing. Isn't that true? Now, there's an old English hymn I came across this week in my, in my commentaries. I won't share the whole thing. But a couple of the stanzas say this. Not so in haste, my heart, have faith in God and wait. Although he linger long, he never comes too late. He never comes too late. He knoweth what is best. Vex not thyself in vain until he cometh. Rest. When you know that God is working all things according to his will and at his timing, you understand that you and I can rest in peace, knowing that he's in control and that everything will happen according to his will. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to take the phrase in the fullness of time, and I want, to look, I want us to look at it in three ways. I want us to look at it uh, as, it re, uh, uh, as it pertains to the world's time, God's time, and as it relates to our time. So let's first of, look of all, first of all look at the world's time. It was in the fullness of historical time that our Lord Jesus Christ came to earth. That is, God literally prepared history for the coming of Christ. And he did it in several ways. First of all, Roman peace. At the time of Christ's birth, the civilized world of the day was united politically as it had not been for many centuries. Augustus, who was mentioned in Luke's account of the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, is credited by historians as having established what came to be known as the Pax Pax Romana, Roman peace. You see, up until that time, it was a very dangerous place. Robbers ruled the streets. Uh, It was very difficult to travel without being robbed and beaten. Uh, There were constant wars happening in the area. Pirates 
ruled the seas and the ports in the area. But Augustus brought a peace which prepared a tranquil climate for the coming of Jesus Christ. Number two, a system of roads. The world was also linked together as it had not been previously. The Roman highway system made it much easier to get from town to town, city to city. So when the Apostle Paul started his missionary journeys, the Roman roads were his main uh, direction of travel. In fact, if you trace his missionary journeys, you find that most of them stay pretty close to the Romans' road. So by having these roads in place, it allowed the gospel to more easily be taken out throughout the region and the countries close by. Number three, there was a common language. The Romans who spoke Latin were in control. However, the language that united the empire was not Latin. It was Greek. Preparation for this had been made through the conquest of Alexander the Great. He had come from Macedonia and pressed his conquests east uh, from first conquering the rest of Greece, then across what we then call uh, Turkey, and then pressing through Palestine and finally moving farther east almost into the borders of India. So the Greek language that came with him soon became the political and business language of the ancient uh, countries that had been conquered by Alexander. So when Paul went from town to town, he didn't have to learn new languages or new dialects. He simply had to know Greek. Now, if you think back at our study in the book of Daniel that we've been in, and of course, we'll pick that up uh, after the holidays again, but you recall when Nebuchadnezzar had his vision of the great statue and the four world powers that were coming identified by metal, you recall the third one was Greece under the direction of Alexander. Did you stop and think way back then that that Greek empire was actually preparing the way so the gospel could be taken out more easily? It's fascinating when you take the Old and New Testament and prophecy and you begin to recognize how it all fits together for a common purpose. And there was no difference right here. Now, there was a fourth way the world was prepared for the coming of Christ. Not expectation, but desperation. And that was a spiritual vacuum. The religions of the ancient world had run their course. These religions focused on the gods and goddesses of the Greek and Roman pantheons, but they had proved meaningless. And by the time Christ was born, people were desperate for something with meaning. The people looked for something. They were hungry for something. So the first thing we learn from Galatians 4, 4 through 5, is that it was in the fullness of the world's time that Christ came. God prepared the world for just the right time for Christ to come. So the world's history was prepared for the arrival of Jesus Christ. The second way we see is God's time. This is not as the fullness of history, but as the fullness of God's time. We can hardly miss this when we look at the context of these verses because Galatians is not talking about what had happened in Rome, Greece, or even Israel prior to the coming of Christ, but rather of what God was doing in the unfolding drama of redemption. Paul's talking about the contrast between Old Testament times and the time introduced by Christ's coming. 
So he's saying, your situation is now better because now the outworking of salvation is here. And there's two key ways that we see this unfolding in God's time. Number one, shadow versus substance. One way in which the old was superseded was that the substance replaced the shadow. Now, I don't mean to suggest that in the Old Testament nobody really understood about Christ or that he was coming or why he was coming. Certainly they did. Abraham had considerable knowledge, and so did David and the prophets and many others. But generally speaking, the coming of Jesus Christ was hidden in the shadows of the Old Testament system. The people obediently made sacrifices, but the reality was somewhat hidden in the shadows. All the sacrifices pointed forward to the reality, which was Jesus Christ. The people had the temple worship, but the temple worship was symbolic at every point, teaching of how men and women would ultimately approach God through the Lord Jesus Christ. All these things were only shadows of the Old Testament period, but now, in the fullness of time, they have been revealed and brought to glorious fulfillment by the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, everything made sense. Number two, laws and liberty. This is the theme of Galatians. Those who believe in Christ have entered into the full liberty of the children of God so that they are no longer under Old Testament law, rules, and regulations. Now, I need to be careful at this point because when everyone speaks about Christians being free from the laws, there is always some who suppose that they can live however they please, that sin is no longer an issue because they're not under bondage. Well, this is the heresy of what is known as antinomianism, and it is what Paul is teaching here. Paul does indeed teach that we are not under law, but we are not under law only because we have passed onto a greater maturity and a higher responsibility. One thing Paul does is he illustrates this teaching by speaking of a minor child who is placed under tutors who dictate what the child shall do and not do until he becomes of age. However, when he becomes of age and is a man in his own right, he is no longer under tutors, but rather is free to exercise his own personal responsibility and thus honor his father by what he does. So it's not that the law is gone. It's now that we have been taught through what Christ has done to fulfill it by faith and live according to God's will. Paul says that this is what has happened to us since the coming of Jesus Christ. Formerly, we were under the Old Testament laws and regulations, but now we are free to serve God as responsible men and women. And so this is what God is doing in his perfect time. So as we talk about the fullness of time, we also rejoice in the fullness of God's redemption. True, the world was prepared for Christ's coming. There was a fullness of time there, but there was an even greater fullness of time in the history of God's eternal plan. And so we see the world being prepared in the fullness of time. And we see everything happening in the fullness of God's time. But now we look at it as relates to our time. 
The third point is that there is a fullness of time in which Christ comes to each one of us. This gives us confidence in evangelism. It's covering men and women. And if you and I, if, if salvation depended on the preacher or the one witnessing, we would never be comfortable. We would always be worrying, am I saying it just right? Am I saying it at just the right time? Am I doing everything I need to do? And nobody can live under that kind of pressure. That's not the way it is. The key here is that God comes to each one of his children in his time. Now, we tend to put all kinds of pressure on ourselves or put pressure on other people, don't we? Because we we think that it's about us and our doing it. But that's addressed in the scriptures. It's not that way. God comes in the fullness of time to each heart. And Paul referred to this using the illustration of planting, growth, and harvest. And he actually referred to himself in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 through 7. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he nor plants, nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And what this tells you and I is that salvation from start to finish is all of God. This is the way it is in evangelism. God begins to work in the heart. He does so through a sowing of the seed in his word. And at the beginning time, sometimes the seed is so small, you don't even know the plant is there. But it's working. And then someone comes and waters, and someone else comes and shares the power of God in their own life. And through time, God begins to work on the heart. And from the beginning to the end, the work is God's, who causes each of his ministers to contribute what is needed in the proper fullness of time. I wonder if that's where you are this morning. There may be somebody who has sown the seed of the gospel in your heart, One person has explained the gospel to you. Another has shared what God has done in their lives. But perhaps you have not yet come to the point of surrendering, of literally giving yourself up to Christ and what he did for you. I wonder if the time might be now. I wonder if this Christmas season might be that time. I wonder if as we look at Christmas, and celebrate the birth of Christ, if this would be the year you celebrate the birth of Christ in you. God comes to each one of us in the fullness of time. And that's the great blessing we have and why we share the gospel all the time and why we try to extend ourselves beyond these walls because we are merely the agents of God carrying the message that he's given us knowing that whoever we talk to, it is God who works in their hearts, and we can rest in that and give the joy that he's given to us. Now, there's something else here, too, that happens in the fullness of time, and that is that he is coming again. I need to add this because it is so crystal clear. It was when time was fully come that the Lord Jesus Christ came the first time. And in just the same way, it will be in the fullness of time that he will come back. Peter wrote in 2 Peter as a warning to us. 
because scoffers were moving in amongst people and they were saying, look, you can't believe this story. <clears throat> you, don't, you really think he's coming back again? And so Peter, anticipating that and anticipating what was going to happen in the future, he says in 2 Peter 3, 3 through 4, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, how do you argue with that? I mean, it's true. Paul and all the teachers of that time who went out through the region preaching that Christ was coming again, they believed Christ was coming back in their time. It was 2,000 years ago. And nothing has changed. They have a point. Have you ever been asked that? Has someone ever confronted you about that reality? And you're not sure what to say? I mean, those are true words. It's been over 2,000 years, and he still hasn't come. Well, Peter knew that that would be a problem. And so he addresses that in a few verses later, verses 8 and 9. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years as one day. It's God's time and not ours. And see, the reality is, you and I are locked into time. That's the way we think. That's all we know. But God is outside of time. And he is working all things according to his time. But notice, verse 9, and this is where it gets exciting. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Jesus will return when the fullness of the harvest has been brought in. John, or in John chapter 17, where Jesus is praying to the Father, he says, all that the Father has given me will come, and I will nowise cast them out. You see, a clear reality you and I have, before the foundation of the world, God chose to love you. And he is not coming back until all those he's chose to love come in. Now, let me make this very clear. Romans chapter 11, verse 25, he says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. Now, get this. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. When Israel rejected Christ, and Christ opened the gospel to all men in the world, he literally has put a stop to Israel, waiting for all the Gentiles to come in. That ought to give you massive encouragement if you have loved ones and friends who as yet have come to Christ. Could he be waiting for them? Could he be waiting for your children? Could he be coming today, tomorrow, a hundred years, a thousand years from now? It really doesn't matter when he comes. And while you and I know that he's coming, our focus ought to be here and now and those among us. 
Our focus ought to be shedding the love of Christ, knowing that he's not coming back until all have come to him. That's massive encouragement. It's incredible encouragement that you and I can, can, can grab onto. So the point is, will you be ready for him when he comes? I don't know when it'll be. It could be soon. It could be a long way off. The Lord Jesus Christ came the first time to die. The second time he will come as a king to rule and as a judge to reward everyone according to what he or she has done, whether it be good or bad. Can you stand before him on the basis of what you have done? And see, the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of the church age is that we're not here to condemn anyone. We're here to offer grace and mercy. That's the message of the church. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever come to him, everyone, that whosoever come would be saved. And that message was consistent when he left this earth, when he gave it to the disciples to go out and preach it, and it's just as consistent today. And that message will never, ever change until he comes back again. The glorious love of Christ shed abroad in our hearts because he so loved each one of us. Now, when you and I are locked into time and we think in terms of time and we think in terms of what we want and what should be, we always lose sight of the reality that everything happens according to his time and according to his fulfillment. Some of you have gone through some real trials and you've been desperate for things to change and you didn't know why they weren't changing. But in when time came and the change came and you began to see God's hand, you now look back and realize all the things that had to happen all the things that had to change, all the things that had to come happen in your life to take you to the next level of being God's child would never have happened if he had just changed it real quick, right? We all learn the hard way. Let's face it. There's not a head in this world thicker than mine. And I've been hit over the head many times. And as I've shared with you before, my relationship with Christ has so dramatically changed in the last five years. And I would look back and think, man, why didn't I learn this 10, 20, 30 years ago? Because the time was not ready. The experiences I had to go through, the failures that I had to endure, the good choices, the bad choices, the highs, the lows, they had to happen in order for me to look past me to him. So when you find yourself in a difficult situation, you can rejoice and know that God is here and he's in it. You can rejoice in the reality that nothing comes into your life that he doesn't allow. And whatever it is, good or bad, you have the peace of knowing that he is working his plan in your heart. And that is the spectacular thing. That is the spectacular thing we call grace. Because it's in his time for his purpose and for our good. So he prepared the world 
so that in the fullness of time he would come. God's own plan was set apart in the fullness of time. God comes to you in the fullness of time. And he's coming back again in the fullness of time. As you sit here this morning, do you recognize the reality that he is working all things after the counsel of his own will? That you are a child in his hand for his purpose. This is why we say week in and week out, quoting John 3, 3, he must increase and I must decrease. Because the life of a child of God is all about him, not about me. And if he allows me to endure difficult things to bring glory to him, who would say no? And if he's got you in a place where he's working in your life to bring you to a tremendous place, why argue? Embrace it. Thank him. Praise him. And let Jesus Christ be seen in and through you in every situation. That's what will change the world. Not our criticism, not our getting down on people, not us condemning everyone out there. If they're lost, they don't know any better. But what they do understand is love. And when you and I take the love of Christ and be Christ, I guarantee you, no man can resist it because that's the way we're programmed. Everyone is born with a heart-shaped vacuum or God-shaped vacuum. And they try to fill it with every way possible, but only God can fill it. Will you be the one? Will your life be the gospel that they see Christ? I trust this Christmas season that that will be your number one goal, to let the world see Jesus in you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your amazing grace. We thank you, Lord, that nothing happens outside of your plan. Even we as humans who often endure difficult things, we can't possibly see the good that you're doing. But the reality is that you are always working in the hearts of your children. And so I pray this morning that our number one focus this Christmas season would be to honor you every step of our life. That the world would see Jesus in us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who's starved for that love, who doesn't understand the reality, that they'd come and seek us out, that we might be able to show them from the scriptures the truth that your love extends to them and that they can have forgiveness and mercy and freedom and not be condemned, but they can live for you and know that they will be adopted into your family for eternity. I pray that you do your wonderful work in the hearts of each one of us. And all God's people said, amen. God bless.